Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I am your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Thank you for tuning in. And whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you're in the right place. My guest this episode is the Director of Personal Development at IMG Academy, where he has been since 2017. Originally from England, he received his PhD in Sports Psychology from the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. He is a certified consultant with the Association of Applied Sports Psychology. And since 2005, he has been conducting mental skills training with athletes and coaches from a range of sports and varying in talent and ability from beginners to professional and Olympic athletes. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Dr. Duncan Simpson. How are you doing today, Duncan? Awesome, TJ. Really appreciate you having me on. Excited to have you, and uh, I know people are always, uh, I think, from the outside world, uh, interested and fascinated sometimes with IMG, and um, glad to have you and, and share some things and, and about your role. Uh, but I guess to start, love to kind of hear uh, what led you on your journey into the field and, and kind of the work that you do at IMG and what got you fascinated at first. Yeah, probably like a lot of people in our field, um, I'd say... Uh a failed athlete like like most people that end up in kind of coaching or mental coaching or leadership coaching um there's something probably from your own sport experience so i played tennis and soccer growing up in the uk um you know didn't feel like i maximized my potential don't think i could have been a professional at tennis at all but could have been a lot better than i was but really struggled with the mental side growing up um and then through kind of education like found out about this field of sports psychology and found out like, Hey, there's actually people that help people um, <laughs> with, uh, with similar issues that I had. So it, it's kind of a cliche, but that's honestly, uh, I was honestly the kind of gateway into the field um, and then being kind of fortunate over the last kind of 15, 20 years to be able to serve athletes and coaches from beginners to professionals and, and try to, you know, support them and them being their best. Yeah. And I'm guilty. Uh, I struggled with things as a youth athlete. And I think uh, for me, emotional regulation, I think was, was always sometimes that challenge. Can you tell us what it was? Maybe those things for you as a younger athlete? Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, emotional regulation. And, you know, it shouldn't come as a surprise because the brain really isn't developed till we're kind of 24, but we put a, we put a lot of uh, pressure on, on youth athletes to be able to regulate their emotion, but yeah, anger issues, struggled in nerves, got very tight, you know how to handle pressure um so yeah kind of you know not not nothing crazy just the the performance elements that i struggled with um yeah was there a, a coach in your younger years or in kind of your sports psychology journey that uh has always been kind of a, a stead rock for you or, or someone you could rely on for mentorship i'd say from a coaching perspective not really like i had you know i, I felt you know, I was grateful for, you know, my high school, high school coaches and, but there were, you know, PE teachers who were, who were doing their best, um, yeah. definitely less professionalized than it is now. Um, and had, had good coaches, but nobody that really could, could speak with authority on the mental side. And, and 
you know, again, we're probably going back quite not to date myself, but it's 25, 30 years ago where sports psychology wasn't really a big thing. So um, I think the field's come a long way. And now some of the best coaches um, really have mastered the mental game and they can have huge impacts on their student athletes. Um, so again, uh, not a criticism of my coaches. I didn't quite have those, those coaches I had, had good coaches, but not on the, not on the sport and the mental side. Yeah. You talked about kind of that, how far it's come over the years. And some of our guests have, you know, on this podcast, uh, that's kind of the world that we live in. Um, and it's exciting to see that growth. And I know other guests that have worked at IMG, I've heard that, you know, have a mind gym um, and things like that. But can you talk about maybe kind of how far we've come and, and just how it's the parallel of how it can also support the mental wellness, mental health of athletes and not just for the, you know, the catastrophes that come along in sports per se. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, um, I feel very fortunate in the role that I have. I'm really kind of standing on the shoulders of giants. We've had, you know, kind of some of the who's who of the, the, the mental training space that have come through and have worked at the academy. And it even goes all the way back to uh, Nick Bollettieri, um, who, who found the academy and who unfortunately recently passed but nick was you know a visionary when it came to the mental side and and brought mental coaches in very early um realized the importance of it and and from that you know i think the credit to the you know those those giants in the past but ever since it's always been integrated in the academy um the mental training piece has always been given a role which isn't necessarily the case even at the collegiate and sometimes the professional space so I feel very lucky that I've been able to go into an environment whereby, you know, doing mental training is not um, something that's odd or something that's weird. It's, it's something that the athletes do and they, they just like, it's just part of their yeah daily routine. They're just like, Hey, yeah, we're going to go, we're going to do a mental session. So again, feel very fortunate to work in that structure where I don't have to, you know, fight coaches. I don't have to, you know, battle perceptions whereby I think, you know, other coaches out in the out in other spaces have those challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, I think you know, hopefully, our leadership now sees the value in what we do. And you said the kind of connection to the mental health piece. I mean, you know, mental health is such a huge issue, and um, we're like every other high school. You know, you know, we have athletes that have challenges, mm-hmm. but we we believe, and I, I strongly believe that um, you know, if we do a really good job of being proactive and providing the the necessary support and coping mechanisms to our athletes, we may be able to mitigate some of the mental health challenges. You know, sure. obviously mental health is, you know, certainly part biological, but if we, if we equip the young men and women with, you know, the tools, the skills, the resources, the support, then we might be able to mitigate some of that. And if, and if that's the case, then wow, what a, what a, what a mission and what a, uh, what a great thing that could be. So again, I'm, I'm fully believe that some of the work we do can, can support the 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 mental health as well as the performance of our athletes love it um what does that look like for an athlete at img either get a mental session what is that routine how often uh how, how frequent and then i guess more of the structured part i'm sure they do take it beyond the classrooms and on their own into their own competitive worlds but what does the structured part look look like that they're getting to experience yeah yeah good question um each sport we we have eight sports. Um, we're gonna have a ninth volleyball coming on, which we're excited to have. Um, each sport run a little bit differently, but um, 
in general, every every athlete at IMG will get a mental session each week. Now that's in a group or a team, depending if they're playing team or individual sport, they'll have a mental session every week. So that will be, you know, usually half an hour with a mental coach. Now that's evolved a lot. It used to be, you know, very classroom-based kind of presentation and credit to the sports and the coaches and the sport directors. Now we're really integrated into the environment. So um, some of the sports will be out on the courts, on the fields, um, delivering mental during, basically during practice time. So we'll get a session a week. Um, from that, we then also support with what we call life coaching. So, mm. you know, being in and around the sport, being in and around the practice environment, whereby it's kind of coaching between the cracks, you know, yeah. when they have a water break, when, you know, breaks in play, anytime there's an opportunity to connect and you see a lot during practice. So that's kind of life coaching. We, we also, um, you know, our coaches will uh, travel to competitions, will support the athletes on the road, um, again, based on what the sport needs. And then lastly, there's the opportunity to do one-on-one. So if an athlete wants to go a little bit, a little step further and wants to meet with a mental coach one-on-one, that's also available. Excellent. Is there uh, something when you see athletes arrive on campus, those younger athletes, kind of uh, a mental skill that they're don't know they're in search for, but they, 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 they do when they know they're in search for it once they, they find it. <laughs> yeah. Great question. You know, um, each sport's a little bit unique. I think there's, there's no bigger skill for me or there's no bigger attribute that we look for than focus with our athletes. There's so many potential distractions. Now those can be just the environment distractions external distractions but there's also those internal distractions based on their own identity and how they're how they're you know comparing themselves to their peers and you know what if i lose to so-and-so what will so-and-so talk about so there's a lot of self-talk there's a lot of emotional regulation but it also comes back to focus what are they what are they focusing on so i think it's a it's a unique environment it's not it's not one that suits everybody but i think the athletes that come and take advantage of all the support services and we're just one part of the support services those are the athletes that really flourish both kind of personally and on the field or the court those that take advantage of all the support services so i'd say focus if there's one um and again as a you know we're dealing with adolescents it's it's a great time for them to develop their own identity like understanding yeah. who they are and who they want to be and you know boy that's a you know I'm sure you know people everyone's been through high school and most people listening to this have been through high school and realize what a challenging time that can be and it's not getting any easier for sure right someone once said you know you spend the first 18 years of your life trying to be like everything and everyone and you spend the next 18 years trying to be nothing like those first 18 (laughs) (laughs) absolutely right sometimes trying to be conform and things um is there something uh when it comes to mental skills that uh brings you the most kind of joy and excitement to teach that, that you love working with student athletes on? That's a great question. Um, like I said, the, the skill that I probably work on the most is focus, but mm-hmm. I think, I think when I really support an athlete and the development of confidence and, and get that to be, you know, you know, significantly stable and, and not up and down like an emotion, we help an athlete develop confidence um, that's so visible um, in themselves, how they carry themselves, how they talk, and then how they perform. You know, performing is great, but like if you can 
if you can have, if you can build an athlete's confidence that, you know, for us that we see that transfer to other elements of their lives, their social lives, the, you know, the willingness to take on challenges at school and to handle, you know, adversity. So it's really pretty rewarding when you can help an athlete develop sure. um, confidence. What is kind of one of those small ways that uh, an athlete can add to their kind of building blocks of confidence? Um, you know, is it creating consistency, you know, ref- self-reflection? What are some of the most effective, simple things? Yeah, I use the, um, I kind of use the the metaphor of a, of a campfire. And interestingly, our student athletes never built a campfire, but probably uh, most of our <laughs> listeners have. And it's, you know, I walk them through, well, how do you, how do you build a campfire? You know, you start very small, right? So, so you start with the smallest little pieces. You look for some, you know, little twigs and a little bit of brush. And for when I relate this to confidence, it's like every single day looking for the small wins. Like, how do we look for the small wins? Every single, hey, did you have a good breakfast? Were you up on time? Did you attend practice in time? Did you stretch? Did you do da 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 da? In terms of preparation, once we build that and that's consistent, we start identifying out in our environment and in our daily context, we start identifying small wins. Then it's then okay. Well, what are the what are the kind of the bigger things that we can look at? What are the bigger branches? Then it might be more performance related. Hey, I had a really good practice. Why? Because I had high intensity for the whole of practice. Great. Let's reflect on that, as you mentioned. Okay. Da, da, da. So what we're trying to do is build up confidence. It's not a you know a lot of times athletes it's like that. Hey, they want to light the big log on fire right at the beginning. Like I want to win that tournament, and if I win that tournament, I'm gonna yeah. you know I'm gonna feel successful. It's like, you know, great. When we when we light those big logs on fire, they can burn for a long period of time to continue that analogy. But it's really hard to get there. You have to do it over a small period of time. So again, looking for those small wins on a daily basis. So the two biggest determinants of confidence are really preparation and then which is over time, you know, doing those little things. And then um, the moment to moment is how you talk to yourself. So we spend a lot of time working with the athletes on how they're managing that internal dialogue um you know for some for some it comes a little easier than others for some you know we we may have been in an environment or personality wise we may have come up a little more pessimistic or being told we're not you know being told we're not great or you know we hear these messages on a daily basis so helping athletes navigate that internal self-talk is absolutely paramount so yeah deal with my experience a lot of athletes when you know you tell them talking to yourself is all right they kind of give you a funny look um is there ways that you kind of like to break through that uh you know sometimes old way of thinking that talking to yourself one is normal and and two you can have the power to you know build it positively yeah um i mean i I think you know it, it does come down a little bit to personality so one of the sports i've worked a lot in is tennis and and some players are you know, very vocal and outward and they, they, you know, they'll scream and they'll shout and they'll pump themselves up. And that personality wise does not fit every athlete. Not every player wants to be a Rafael Nadal, but it is that internal dialogue. And maybe it's not out loud, but it's that quiet confidence, right? It's the, mm-hmm. it's the things you say to yourself under your breath. Um, you know, one of the kind of little mantras I use is kind of stop, stop listening and start talking. Cause when we get very internal, we start listening to, you know the kind of the doubts the fears you know the fatigue etc etc um that can really damage our confidence so how can we just continuously talk to ourselves almost like a coach 
Um, and again, that's a practice that takes time with athletes. Um, but it's not, you know, for us, the more we work with athletes, it becomes the norm. It's not something weird or strange. And athletes get used to seeing each other talking to themselves and talking to themselves through things. So we want to catch them winning. We want to highlight when they do great things and they're talking to themselves in a positive way. And then when we recognize, you know, perhaps some of the, the, the self-talk is, um, you know, less than less than optimal. Again, it's not about for us positive or negative, but is this is the way you're talking to yourself helping you or hurting you? Yeah. That, you know, make it as simple as that. So. Yeah. It's not about, hey, you have to be hyper positive, but is it is it helping you in this moment? Because if it's not, we probably need to change. We probably need to change it. Right. I think there's a some athletes can manage that high emotion and it's fuel and others it becomes overextension. Absolutely. Right? You know, um, how do you see uh, or what role kind of does mindfulness kind of play in, in the, the things you do and uh does it play a role, I guess, to start? And then, uh, you know, how, how do you see it as importance to, to help an athlete cultivate, you know, some of those small twigs and branches, so to speak? Yeah, I think this has probably been an explosion of, of literature, research, um, you know, um, apps, all the rest of it that, that has really highlighted the benefit. I, I think it's it's not even questionable now. Like, it, it's it's well established just the value of it now. You know, personally, I've I've um, had my own journey with mindfulness that, you know, I'll go for six months at a time and do a phenomenal job every day. And then for some reason, I'll just kind of mm-hmm. I'll forget about it one day and I'll I'll, I'll not meditate for 10 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. I think for our athletes, mindfulness is not a term that quite resonates with a lot of, I'd say, adolescents. But what we're really talking about is being present and being mm-hmm. focused. And yeah. when we talk about being present and focused, they can make that connection. For us, it's also giving them an opportunity to have that period of the day. So, for example, when I've done mindfulness with athletes and we've just done, you know, it might just be following the breath, just a simple 10-minute breathing exercise. Mm-hmm. It may be that only 10 minutes in their entire day from kind of 6.30 till 10 o'clock at night where they literally just stop and they have nothing else to do. Yeah. And they really value that. And, you know, it, it, it's it's super common when we any myself any of the mental coaches do sessions with athletes around breathing that you know numerous athletes will fall asleep and it's not because they're being disrespectful it's just like their body needs that rest and their mind needs that rest yeah. um so yeah it does play a role i think how you frame it is is super important so for most of my athletes it's about you know being present being aware you know being focused those are the terms i use as opposed to you know mindfulness necessarily i like how you pointed out the sleepers because <laughs> I, I think it's a, sometimes i think other when people get bothered by that maybe you know sometimes there's a goal depending on your session but uh, you know if they're training you know rookies on breath and mindfulness to lower their heart rate and do these things and they fall asleep that's kind of like maybe they did a good job right <laughs> right yeah no it's, absolutely it's so it's hard to like you know ex- and it's you know what their body's wanting um yeah and if you're going to slow down and slow the breath and listen to your body why deny it <laughs> yeah and, and, and for yeah for, for adolescents it is sometimes you know just sitting and being quiet like it is a little bit strange mm-hmm. 
and it is a little bit different but that's okay we we talk through the discomfort you know mm-hmm. we talk through like hey can you sit still for two minutes and not you know scratch or you know just literally sit sit as still as possible and that's really difficult for some people but then then it really serves as a base for we can have some really cool conversations like hey what came up for you yeah my mind was all over the place it was rushing 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 oh what have you got coming up oh you've got an exam this afternoon okay like da, da, da. and then you build that connection so again sometimes the exercises mindfulness based exercises are a bridge to deeper conversations about what else is going on in their life and then for some athletes it's like poof they just like they fall right in not distracted you know can do it uh, in terms of do it but in a non-judgmental way they can follow their breath they there's this you know what you'd call really good at doing those skills but for other athletes it's a challenge um and again it's the same same with adults too so some people can do it and some people struggle and it's just a practice it just takes time sure sure when uh we touched on kind of the falling asleep, but uh, I think in my mindfulness meditation journey, I think that was one of the benefits I found was being able to find sleep easier and and get to sleep. Uh, important for growing adolescents, busy athletes, just like you said, their day is extremely busy. Uh, are there any other one or two things that uh, you recommend to athletes to help them with a nighttime routine or to help them get quality sleep that they may be overlooking? Yeah, I mean, you know, we we talk to our athletes a lot about sleep um, and talk about kind of the the benefits and, you know, preparing your environment. Um, I don't know how many of them take this up on that advice. You know, it, you know, I'm sure some of them are up late on their devices and, you know, playing video games and, and all the rest of it. But that can only last, you know, so long. Eventually, something's going to give. Um so again, for us, it's equipping them with the with the knowledge around certain areas, but we to intervene on sleep is really difficult. Ultimately, and I, you know, a young person is going to make their decisions. We we can advise them and give them, you know, hey, look at this cool research. Look at this. You know, we found research, for example, um, on tennis players that showed differences in sleep, how sleep impacted first serve percentage. And it's like, okay, if you can find some, not just, hey, sleep's good for you. You need to sleep eight hours. Like if you can actually say, look, if you don't sleep this, you know, this is how it can actually impact your performance, then it can resonate. Um, But but again, it's, uh, you know, can we intervene on it? That's the more difficult challenge in a boarding school environment. Yeah. You touched on some research. I know, uh, is there any new research out that has caught your attention? I know, um, one of the things that I like to share with athletes, Mary, I think it's Mary Fry over at Kansas. One of her students is doing research on division one basketball teams. And uh, they looked at, they surveyed them on their, their feeling of inclusion and belonging with on their team and the teams that scored higher and that had less turnovers and more assist. And so there's this, you know, con- emotional connection that translated into this performance connection when it came into to that world, is there any other kind of things like I love the sleep and the first serve kind of thing? Any other ones that kind of uh, come to mind? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think uh, uh, I was fortunate to um, review a research paper recently. Um, still serve on some journals and um, kind of challenge my assumptions around some of um, 
the work that I've done with imagery and visualization with athletes. Um, mm-hmm. I've done some research in that area myself. And, and this one was looking kind of that internal, um, internal or oh, first person perspective versus third person perspective and the different skills. So for example, if you're doing, um, you know, if you're doing something like high board diving, then, you know, we'd anticipate that a third person um, perspective from imagery would be really powerful. If you're doing a, you know, something like a basketball free throw, it might be that first person really feel it in your own body. Um, And they looked at different skills and different imagery perspectives and really found that, you know, it didn't really matter. It, It didn't matter in terms of what perspective they took. It was all about what the athlete felt most comfortable with um so again sometimes it's a little niche area and you're going down a little bit of a rabbit hole but it's like huh okay like i've been teaching it this way and i've been you know saying athletes oh you should really do it this way and it's like well you know maybe not um and kind of exploring exploring some of that i think um for me now in my role i think um, I've looked at some of the belonging research, um, which comes out of psychology, and I think that's that's super interesting. Um, mm-hmm. We have fifty percent international students, and I'm just like, wow! Just you know, going to a new country for some of them speaking, yeah. a, you know, it's not their first language. How do they assimilate, and how do do they feel like they belong in this environment? Um, yeah. And if we could, if we could maximize that sense of belonging and like we could have so such a big impact on their just just their overall wellness their the self-efficacy their confidence just if they feel like hey i you know i belong here not just there's someone else that looks like me and you know speaks my language but i i have that sense of belonging so how do we how do we do that on a big scale you know we have 1400 athletes and yeah. you know we have people athletes assimilating from all over the world i think belonging research is pretty cool um haven't managed to actionize too much but we do look at you know there has been some cool stuff with, with our student life staff that they they uh really look at how do we how do we think about food how do we think about different cultural practices with yeah. our new student athletes the food is completely different to other, obviously other cultures so how yeah. do we how do we support that how do we make sure that you know they can demonstrate some of their cultural uh, preferences and demonstrate to other students hey these are foods that we eat so they do some pretty cool stuff with that um but again there's um there's work to be done but i think the belonging research is pretty cool my mom was a home ec teacher and a golf (laughs) coach so um one of her favorite things to do she taught in the inner city school was she would get as many uh other parents and kids to come in and cook cultural dishes and that was always the most favorite day of any of her students day was when moms and kids came in and cooked these cultural things that they've never tasted. And, um, everyone got to share a little bit about it, but, uh, it was one of her (laughs) favorite things to do. Um, as she was Italian, so she loved trying everything. So, um, yeah, uh, I think when athletes can show up as themselves, right? Like if, if an athlete is hiding, we, we see this with adolescents, if athletes hiding part of their identity about who they are, they're not they're not showing up as them their full self so right. we can allow them to kind of show up as their, their full self whatever identity they they bring into that space i think that's incredibly powerful because once you feel like, like you belong you feel like you can be yourself then you know it, it goes without saying your performance is going to be better you're not so self-aware you're not so self-critical you can just show up and you know if it's if it's based on my you know based on my um ethnicity or based on my racial background or it's based on my 
cultural background or sexual orientation, whatever it might be, if we can get people to show up and be as authentic as they can, it's going to translate to performance and ultimately just, I think, happy and healthier adolescents. That's all we can ask for. I love that. Happier and healthy adolescents. That's a goal. Um, is there, uh, to close out, is there something that brings you the most joy in your role and what you get to do when you sit and look back what what gives you the most joy in the work and we didn't touch on it yet but i know you have a big role with the association of applied sports psychology uh, on a scale as well but what brings you joy uh, in all the things that you do yeah you know i always sound somewhat, somewhat cliche when you say these things but ho- hopefully hopefully my staff will attest to this I, I think success for me is making other people better um and for for my staff it might be you know making sure that i support them to set them up for success have the best possible schedule make sure they get the time off make sure they have all the resources in place so that they can do the work so sometimes in my role is taking barriers away um, within a big structure of an organization how do i support my staff for them to be a success you know if i can impact them then they can impact the 1400 however good you are as a as a mental coach i can't impact 1400 student athletes but i can support the success of my athletes um through my coaches and then working with with coaches is just uh, sorry working with the student athletes it's just you know how do you you know how do you help them how do you support them in their in their moment of need not just i think the coolest relationships i've had with student athletes has not been based around performance like it's it's great it's cool when they win um but it's really those kids that have graduated and have gone to college and you know, they still keep in touch and they still reach out and it's, you've built, you've built a connection with them. Um, I think that's really, that that's what it's all about. And again, that does sound kind of cliche, but it, you know, in thinking this field, it's about making other people better. Um, and you mentioned ASP and, you know, for me, it's just my role within the organization is um, I've been impacted by great mentors in our field. And it's just like, how do, how do I give back? How do I support you know, serving on committees is not necessarily fun, but there's important work to be done. Um, so, you know, you got to step up and, and do that and give back to the field. The field has given me a lot and the organization that's given me a lot. I try and I try and give back and try and serve in any capacity that I can. Um, so that's kind of, you know, I don't I don't pretend to be an angel. I'll have all the answers. But if you can turn up each day and try and support people and let them let them be their most successful self and I usually have a good day. 